0: Chapter Sixteen, Part Seven of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume Two, by John Fox, edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter Sixteen. PERSECUTIONS IN ENGLAND DURING THE REIGN OF QUEEN MARY PART 7 EXECUTIONS AT STRATFORD-LEBAULE At this sacrifice, which we are about to detail, no less than thirteen were doomed to the fire. Each one refusing to subscribe contrary to conscience, they were condemned, and the twenty-seventh of June, 1556, was appointed for their execution at STRATFORD-LEBAULE. Their constancy and faith glorified their Redeemer, equally in life and in death. Rev. Julius Palmer This gentleman's life presents a singular instance of error and conversion. In the time of Edward, he was a rigid and obstinate papist, so adverse to godly and sincere preaching, that he was even despised by his own party. That this frame of mind should be changed and he suffer persecution and death in Queen Mary's reign, are among those events of omnipotence at which we wonder and admire. Mr. Palmer was born at Coventry, where his father had been mayor. Being afterward removed to Oxford, he became, under Mr. Hardley of Magdalen College, an elegant Latin and Greek scholar. He was fond of useful disputation, possessed of a lively wit and a strong memory. INDEFATIGABLE IN PRIVATE STUDY, HE ROSE AT FOUR IN THE MORNING, AND BY THIS PRACTICE QUALIFIED HIMSELF TO BECOME READER IN LOGIC IN Magdalen COLLEGE. THE TIMES OF EDWARD, HOWEVER, FAVORING THE REFORMATION, MR. PALMER BECAME FREQUENTLY PUNISHED FOR HIS CONTEMPT OF PRAYER AND ORDERLY BEHAVIOR, AND WAS AT LENGTH EXPELLED THE HOUSE. HE AFTERWARDS EMBRACED THE DOCTRINES OF THE REFORMATION, WHICH OCCASIONED HIS ARREST AND FINAL CONDEMNATION. A certain nobleman offered him his life, if he would recant. "'If so,' said he, "'thou wilt dwell with me. And if thou wilt set thy mind to marriage, I will procure thee a wife and a farm, and help to stuff and fit thy farm for thee. How sayest thou?' Palmer thanked him very courteously, but very modestly and reverently concluded that as he had already in two places renounced his living for Christ's sake, So he would, with God's grace, be ready to surrender and yield up his life also for the same, when God should send time. When Sir Richard perceived that he would by no means relent, Well, Palmer, saith he, Then I perceive one of us twain shall be damned, For we be of two faiths, and certain I am there is but one faith that leadeth to life and salvation. Palmer, O, sir, I hope that we both shall be saved. Sir Richard, How may that be? Palmer. Right well, sir, for as it hath pleased our merciful Saviour, according to the Gospel's parable, to call me at the third hour of the day, even in my flowers, at the age of four and twenty years, even so I trust he hath called, and will call you, at the eleventh hour of this your old age, and give you everlasting life for your portion. Sir Richard. Sayest thou so? "'Well, Palmer, well, I would, I might have thee "'but one month in my house. "'I doubt not, but I would convert thee, "'or thou shouldst convert me.' "'Then said Master Winchcombe, "'Take pity on thy golden years "'and pleasant flowers of lusty youth "'before it be too late. "'Palmer, sir, I long for those springing flowers "'that shall never fade away.' "'He was tried on the 15th of July, 1556.' together with one Thomas Askin, fellow prisoner. Askin and one John Gwynne had been sentenced the day before, and Mr. Palmer, on the fifteenth, was brought up for final judgment. Execution was ordered to follow the sentence, and at five o'clock in the same afternoon, at a place called the Sandpits, these three martyrs were fastened to a stake. After devoutly praying together, they sung the thirty-first psalm. WHEN THE FIRE WAS KINDLED, AND IT HAD SEIZED THEIR BODIES, WITHOUT AN APPEARANCE OF ENDURING PAIN, THEY CONTINUED TO CRY, LORD JESUS, STRENGTHEN US, LORD JESUS, RECEIVE OUR SOULS, UNTIL ANIMATION WAS SUSPENDED AND HUMAN SUFFERING WAS PAST. IT IS REMARKABLE THAT, WHEN THEIR HEADS HAD FALLEN TOGETHER IN A MASS, AS IT WERE BY THE FORCE OF THE FLAMES, AND THE SPECTATORS THOUGHT PALMER AS LIFELESS, HIS TONGUE AND LIPS AGAIN MOVED, and were heard to pronounce the name of jesus to whom be glory and honour forever joan waste and others this poor honest woman blind from her birth and unmarried aged 22 was of the parish of all hallows derby her father was a barber and also made ropes for a living in which she assisted him and also learned to knit several articles of apparel Refusing to communicate with those who maintained doctrines contrary to those she had learned in the days of the pious Edward, she was called before Dr. Dracott, the Chancellor of Bishop Blaine, and Peter Finch, official of Derby. With sophistical arguments and threats they endeavoured to confound the poor girl, but she proffered to yield to the bishop's doctrine, if he would answer for her at the day of judgment, as pious Dr. Taylor had done in his sermons that his belief of the real presence of the sacrament was true. The bishop at first answered that he would, but Dr. Dracott reminded him that he might not in any way answer for a heretic. He withdrew his confirmation of his own tenets, and she replied that if their consciences would not permit them to answer at God's bar for the truth they wished her to subscribe to, she would answer no more questions. Sentence was then adjudged, and Dr. it appointed to preach her condemned sermon, which took place August first, 1556, the day of her martyrdom. His fulminating discourse being finished, the poor sightless object was taken to a place called Windmill Pit, near the town, where she for a time held her brother by the hand, and then prepared herself for the fire, calling upon the pitying multitude to pray with her, and upon Christ to have mercy upon her. Until the glorious light of the everlasting sun of righteousness beamed upon her departed spirit. In November, fifteen martyrs were imprisoned in Canterbury Castle, of whom all were either burnt or famished. Among the latter were J. Clark, D. Chittenden, W. Foster of Stonk, Alice Potkins, and J. Archer of Cranbrook, Weaver. The first two of these had not received condemnation, but the others were sentenced to the fire. Foster, at his examination, observed upon the utility of carrying lighted candles about on Candlemas Day, that he might as well carry a pitchfork, and that a gibbet would have as good an effect as the cross. We have now brought to a close the sanguinary prescriptions of the Merciless Mary in the year 1556, the number of which amounted to above eighty-four. The beginning of the year fifteen fifty seven was remarkable for the visit of Cardinal Pole to the University of Cambridge, which seemed to stand in need of much cleansing from heretical preachers and reformed doctrines. One object was also to play the popish farce of trying Martin Bucer and Paulus Fagius, who had been buried about three or four years, for which purpose the churches of St. Mary and St. Michael, where they lay, were interdicted as vile and unholy places, unfit to worship God in, until they were perfumed and washed with the Pope's holy water, etc., etc. The trumpery act of citing these dead reformers to appear, not having had the least effect upon them, on January 26th, sentence of condemnation was passed, part of which ran in this manner, and may serve as a specimen of proceedings of this nature. We therefore pronounce the said Martin, Bucer and Paulus Fagius excommunicated and anathemized as well by the common law as by letters of process, and that their memory be condemned. We also condemn their bodies and bones, which in that wicked time of schism and other heresies flourishing in this kingdom were rashly buried in holy ground, to be dug up and cast far from the bodies and bones of the faithful according to the holy canons and we command that they and their writings, if any be there found, be publicly burnt, and we interdict all persons whatsoever of this university, town, or places adjacent, who shall read or conceal their heretical book, as well by the common law, as by our letters of process. After the sentence thus read, the bishop commanded their bodies to be dug out of their graves, and being degraded from holy orders, delivered them into the hands of the secular power, for it was not lawful for such innocent persons as they were, abhorring all bloodshed, and detesting all desire of murder, to put any man to death. February 6th the bodies, enclosed as they were in chests, were carried into the midst of the market-place at Cambridge, accompanied by a vast concourse of people. A great post was set fast in the ground, to which the chests were affixed with a large iron chain, and bound round their centres, in the same manner as if the dead bodies had been alive. When the fire began to ascend and caught the coffins, a number of condemned books were also launched into the flames and burnt. Justice, however, was done to the memories of these pious and learned men in Queen Elizabeth's reign, when Mr. Ackworth, orator of the university, and Mr. J. Pilkington, pronounced orations in honour of their memory and in reprobation of their catholic persecutors cardinal pole also inflicted his harmless rage upon the dead body of peter martyr's wife who by his command was dug out of her grave and buried on a distant dung hill partly because her bones lay near st friedwyd's relics once held in great esteem in that college and partly because he wished to purify oxford of heretical remains as well as cambridge in the succeeding reign however Her remains were restored to their former cemetery, and even intermingled with those of the Catholic saint, to the utter astonishment and mortification of the disciples of His Holiness the Pope. Cardinal Pole published a list of fifty-four articles containing instructions to the clergy of his Diocese of Canterbury, some of which are too ludicrous and puerile to excite any other sentiment than laughter in these days. Persecutions in the Diocese of Canterbury In the month of February, the following persons were committed to prison. R. Coleman of Walden, laborer. Joan Winsley of Horsley Magna, spinster. S. Glover of Raleigh. R. Clerk of Much Holland, mariner. W. Munt of Much Bentley, sawyer. Marg Field of Ramsey, spinster. R. Bongure, courier. R. Jolly, mariner. Alan Simpson, Helen Ewire, C. Pepper, Widow, Alice Wally, who recanted, W. Bongior, Glazier, all of Colchester, R. Atkin of Halstead, Weaver, R. Barcock of Wilton, Carpenter, R. George of Westbarholt, Labourer, R. Debnem of Debenham, Weaver, C. Warren of Coxall, Spinster, Agnes Whitlock of Dovercourt, Spinster. Rose Allen, spinster, and T. Ferrisands, minor, both of Colchester. These persons were brought before Bonner, who would have immediately sent them to execution, but Cardinal Pole was for more merciful measures, and Bonner, in a letter of his to the Cardinal, seems to be sensible that he had displeased him, for he had this expression, I thought to have them all hither to Fulham, and to have given sentence against them, Nevertheless, perceiving by my last doing that your grace was offended, I thought it my duty before I proceeded further to inform your grace. This circumstance verifies the account that the Cardinal was a humane man, and though a zealous Catholic, we as Protestants are willing to render him that honour which his merciful character deserves. Some of the bitter persecutors denounced him to the Pope as a favorer of heretics, and he was summoned to Rome, but Queen Mary, by particular entreaty, procured his stay. However, before his latter end, and a little before his last journey from Rome to England, he was strongly suspected of favouring the doctrine of Luther. As in the last sacrifice four women did honour to the truth, so, in the following Alto da Fe, we have the like number of females and males, who suffered June thirtieth, fifteen fifty seven, at Canterbury, and were J. Fishcock, F. White, N. Pardue, Barbary Final, widow, Bardbridge's widow, Wilson's wife, and Bindon's wife. Of this group, we shall more particularly notice Alice Bindon, wife of Edward Bender, of Staplehurst, Kent. She had been taken up in October 1556 for non-attendance, and released upon a strong injunction to mind her conduct. Her husband was a bigoted Catholic, and, publicly speaking of his wife's contumacy, she was conveyed to Canterbury Castle, where, knowing when she should be removed to the bishop's prison, she should be almost starved upon three farthings a day, she endeavoured to prepare herself for this suffering by living upon two pence half-penny per day. On January 22nd, 1557, her husband wrote to the bishop that if his wife's brother, Roger Hall, were to be kept from consoling and relieving her, she might turn. On this account she was moved to a prison called Monday's Hole. Her brother sought diligently for her, and at the end of five weeks providentially heard her voice in the dungeon, but could not otherwise relieve her than by putting some money in a loaf and sticking it on a long pole. Dreadful must have been the situation of this poor victim, lying on straw, between stone walls, without a change of apparel, or the meanest requisites of cleanliness, during a period of nine weeks. On March 25th she was summoned before the bishop, who, with rewards, offered her liberty if she would go home and be comfortable. But Mrs. Bindon had been inured to suffering and showing him her contracted limbs and emaciated appearance, refused to swerve from the truth. She was, however, removed from this black hole to the west gate, whence, about the end of April, she was taken out to be condemned, and then committed to the castle prison until the 19th of June, the day of her burning. At the stake she gave her handkerchief to one John Banks, as a memorial, and from her waist she drew a white lace, DESIRING HIM TO GIVE IT TO HER BROTHER, AND TELL HIM THAT IT WAS THE LAST BAND THAT HAD BOUND HER, EXCEPT THE CHAIN, AND TO HER FATHER SHE RETURNED A SHILLING HE HAD SENT HER. THE WHOLE OF THESE SEVEN martyrs UNDRESSED THEMSELVES WITH ALACRITY, AND BEING PREPARED, KNELT DOWN, AND PRAYED WITH AN EARNESTNESS AND A CHRISTIAN SPIRIT THAT EVEN THE ENEMIES OF THE CROSS WERE AFFECTED. AFTER INVOCATION MADE TOGETHER, THEY WERE SECURED TO THE STAKE, AND BEING ENCOMPASSED WITH THE UNSPARING FLAMES, THEY YIELDED THEIR SOULS INTO THE HANDS OF THE LIVING LORD. MATTHEW PLAYS, WEAVER, A SINCERE AND shrewd CHRISTIAN, OF STONE, KENT, WAS BROUGHT BEFORE THOMAS, BISHOP OF DOVER, AND OTHER INQUISITORS, WHOM HE INGENIOUSLY TEASED BY HIS INDIRECT ANSWERS, OF WHICH THE FOLLOWING IS A SPECIMEN. DR. HARPSFIELD. CHRIST CALLED THE BREAD HIS BODY, What dost thou say it is? Plays. I do believe it was that which he gave them. Dr. Harpsfield. What was that? Plays. That which he break. Dr. Harpsfield. What did he break? Plays. That which he took. Dr. Harpsfield. What did he take? Plays. I say what he gave them, that did they eat indeed. Dr. Harpsfield. Well, then, thou sayest it was but bread which the disciples did eat. Plays, I say what he gave them, that did they eat indeed. A very long disputation followed, in which Plays was desired to humble himself to the bishop, but this he refused. Whether this zealous person died in prison, was executed, or delivered, history does not mention. Reverend John Hollier. REVEREND JOHN HOLIER WAS BROUGHT UP AT Eton COLLEGE, AND IN PROCESS OF TIME BECAME CURATE OF BABRAM, THREE MILES FROM CAMBRIDGE, AND WENT AFTERWARD TO LYNN, WHERE, OPPOSING THE SUPERSTITION OF THE PAPISTS, HE WAS CARRIED BEFORE DR. Thurlby, BISHOP OF Ely, AND SENT TO CAMBRIDGE CASTLE. HERE HE LAY FOR A TIME, AND WAS THEN SENT TO TOLBROOTH PRISON, WHERE, AFTER THREE MONTHS, HE WAS BROUGHT TO ST. MARY'S CHURCH. And condemned by Doctor Fuller. On Monday, Thursday, he was brought to the stake. While undressing, he told the people to bear witness that he was about to suffer in a just cause, and it exhorted them to believe that there was no other rock than Jesus Christ to build upon. A priest named Boys then desired the mayor to silence him. After praying, he went meekly to the stake, and being bound with a chain and placed in a pitch barrel fire was applied to the reeds and wood, but the wind drove the fire directly to his back, which caused him under the severe agony to pray the more fervently. His friends directed the executioner to fire the pile to windward of his face, which was immediately done. A quantity of books were now thrown into the fire, one of which, the communion service, he caught, opened it, and joyfully continued to read it, until the fire and smoke deprived him of sight. Even then, in earnest prayer, he pressed the book to his heart, thanking God for bestowing on him in his last moments this precious gift. The day being hot, the fire burnt fiercely, and at a time when the spectators supposed he was no more, he suddenly exclaimed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and meekly resigned his life. He was burnt on Jesus Green, not far from Jesus College. He had gunpowder given him, but he was dead before it became ignited. This pious sufferer offered a singular spectacle, for his flesh was so burnt from the bones, which continued erect, that he presented the idea of a skeleton figure chained to the stake. His remains were eagerly seized by the multitude, and venerated by all who admired his piety or detested inhuman bigotry. End of chapter 16, part 7